Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum. If it's your first time checking us out, we really appreciate you being here. Remember to subscribe wherever you're listening and on Instagram at DC Local Leaders and come find me on LinkedIn. I don't want you to miss out on any of our Monday mindsets and new episodes with impactful examples of leadership and mindset. To make it easy, we're going to drop some links below. We want to continue to create value and share these messages of shifting our mindset, achieving our goals, and being a mentor for others to do the same. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please remember to share it with a friend. It'll really help us spread the word. We're also actively seeking partnerships and sponsorships to continue our mission, sharing examples that we can accomplish anything that we work towards with the right mindset and the right mentorship. If you or your company would like to partner with us, please use the links below to connect. Today's episode features Reba Magulik. Founding partner of D8 Group. Right at the beginning, Reba gives us a great explanation as to why she chose D8 as the company name. And if you're a chess fan, you'll automatically know what she's referring to. But she gives us a great explanation as to why and why it was significant to her as an individual and what she was trying to accomplish with this company. She also later goes on to explain the methodology that she used to go from a well-paying salaried position to then follow her entrepreneurial spirit and get off on her own. So anyone who's an entrepreneur or just someone who wants to make a shift in their life, either in their career or their personal life, is really going to get a lot out of this episode. And again, if you're not already following us, please subscribe and follow us wherever you happen to be listening. We've got some exciting things happening in 2022, including a potential rebrand. So I'd love to keep you guys up to date on that. Please make sure you follow us on Instagram. Come find me on LinkedIn, Philip Nathram. I want to connect with you. I want to get to know each and every one of you if I can. So please reach out to me and make sure that you sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss any of our announcements as things continue to change. And as we continue to have impactful leaders share their story, share their mindset, share their mentorship with us coming into the next year. So let's get into the episode. All right. So Reba, Reba Magulik, D8. Correct. D8 Group. D8 Group. That has a very specific meaning. Yes, What is that? Oh, this is fun. I love to talk about this. So in the game of chess, there are many pieces, correct? And every space on the chessboard has a title. The space where the most powerful piece in the game sits, Philip, is on D8. It's the piece that can move in any direction, and that happens to be, do you know what it is? The queen. The queen. The queen. The queen can move in any direction, and it's a little, you know, cute marketing gimmick. Uh, It's um, a little girl power there, but really the analogies to government contracting are real. So when I meet people, I say, hey, I'm arming you with the most powerful piece in the game to help you get to checkmate. And in our business, that means helping our clients win government contracts ethically and within the bounds of the federal acquisition regulations. Yeah. So does that mean you're the queen? You're the queen piece? <laughs> no, no, you're no. You're the no. one that goes anywhere on the board? D8 group is the queen. You okay. know, D8 group is your partner to help you win. 
How'd you come up with that? Like, where did this, did you play chess as a, as a kid or are you big into that? I did. I won't say that I'm an awesome chess player. It's funny when I was trying to come up with names for the business, I kept thinking about chess because it's true in this day and age, it's so competitive, Philip, to win a government contract moves and counter moves, strategy planning, you know, four to five steps down the board, so to speak, to get to checkmate. There is so much uh, strategy involved that originally I had thought of counter counter move consulting. That was my original name, counter move consulting. I thought that was cool. But honestly, I did have some help. I had a branding expert who came in and said, all right, let's work with this chess theme. Uh, How about D8? You know, and in keeping with two syllables, easy to spell, all of those things that checked all the boxes. And it's a great story when I share it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty awesome story. It's a pretty awesome story. So D8, how how long have you guys been around? Are you a relatively young company? We're relatively young. I like to say we're the teenagers of the pack. Yeah. You know, we've been around four years. Um, in this time, we've had 50 clients, believe it or not. Some of the top names in the business in the government contracting space, small, mid-size, large, Silicon Valley firms, product companies, service companies, you name it. So um, the last four years has been a, a, a very, very fun experience as an entrepreneur. And uh, we're here and we're growing. I believe we're offering something that people really need and are seeking us out for those services. Yeah. Is that you? So you identify yourself as an entrepreneur? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Like when you say entrepreneur, what do you what do you feel like that means? Well, for me, it's so empowering, Philip. It's so empowering. It's the ability to create something out of nothing. Something that didn't exist before. D8 Group didn't exist. Yeah. Right? The branding, the services, the offerings, the pricing, the messaging, all of that. And the fact that there are paying customers and the model, that the hypothesis has proven itself. An idea that was in my mind that, hey, I have this idea. I wonder if this could be a valuable offering to society, to our industry. And the fact that, yes, indeed it was. And it's growing and there's even greater demand. So to me, an entrepreneur is that um, person that can take a concept. You got a lot of visionaries out there. Am I right? Yeah. But it's few and far between that can take a vision and breathe life into it and make it a reality. That is an entrepreneur. How did you go from having that vision to becoming the entrepreneur? I love this question. So I uh, over the last 16 years in the federal government contracting space, I found my special niche in business development. So business development and capture, I hate to say it, but it's probably as close as you can get to sales, if you will. Although technically you can't really sell to the federal government, but I would say it's as close as you can get to promoting your solutions and offerings. So um, how I got there is I personally had a lot of success in business development. So what I did previously was I was working for a number of different government contractors and I was successful in helping the team win government contracts. And I say team because it's never a one person thing, but I can sit here, look you in the eye and tell you 100% this like the deal wouldn't have happened without certain things that uh, I made happen for that deal. So after having success and then finding that this was a very sought after skill set, said, hey, th- this could be something that we could offer to multiple companies. 
And it, and it was a gamble, just like every entrepreneur has to gamble. Because the gamble was, are people really going to buy into this? Are they really going to outsource something so um, personal you know, yeah. to, to their company? Um, but like I said, the model has proven itself out. So that, that's how this all came to be. Did you go through a period of time where you had to convince yourself almost that this oh. was a good idea? Yes. What did that look like? Were you journaling? Like, were you going to motivation conferences? Like that, that transition from, I have this idea. Cause a lot of, like a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people have ideas, but they can't breathe them into life. Right. And a lot of times it's fear that stops us from doing that. Cause right. I think it's very easy for folks to think up all the reasons why something won't work out mm-hmm. and harder to think of all the ways and all the action items that are required to make something happen. Mm-hmm. No, there's definitely a story behind it. And um, hopefully this will bring comfort to a lot of people out there who are who think similarly to me. I will say I always envisioned the entrepreneur like my father is an entrepreneur. He has a very high risk, uh, a risk tolerance. I do not. So it was a very interesting when I tell you what it looked like for me, me being the planner, the Uber planner down to the 10th degree. This was a huge step for me to go out and do this. I was scared. I did a lot of praying on it. But I will tell you, I didn't just jump off the cliff. So because I am a planner, I call myself the chicken entrepreneur. I was a chicken. I had plan A, B, and C. The other part of the original question that you asked me is, I was leaving a very good situation, Philip. A good situation. Great salary, great company, great team. So it's one thing if you're... You've got nowhere to go but down. But I was already on this upward trajectory, and I'm like, why, why, yeah. why would you stop and do this? The pain has to be great enough to motivate mm. you to look for something mm. better. So what it looked like for me was, like I said, praying, talking to my husband, going and finding out, uh, confirming that I would have one or two clients on the other side of this to start off. And then, like I said, chicken entrepreneur, Contingency plan B, if I fail uh, within this time frame, I gave myself a deadline. In six months, this doesn't happen, I'll go look for a job. Plan C, if this doesn't happen, you know, I'll go get a job. So it, it, it looked like that. It was very, um, uh, it was tough. And, and your question about how did I prepare, journaling, etc. I, in a way, I hadn't really thought about this until you just asked me this. In a way, I've been preparing for it my whole life. Because um, this is going to sound very nerdy, but like my passion actually is business, pure business. And my brother and I argue about this all the time. It's like, oh, business degree is a waste. It's so generic. But I actually am a lover of business for business sake. The profitability, the management, the human capital uh, management and motivation, the marketing, the sales, all of it has fascinated me. So for years and years, I have so many books that I've read. Um, I had uh, undergraduate at UVA, you know, School of Commerce, went on and did my MBA. So I don't think I realized it, but I actually was prepared as a business person to know what to do as an entrepreneur. So you had a baseline of confidence just based on your experience and education that you, you at least knew what it should look like yes. to be in business. Yes. Maybe not necessarily your specific business. Exactly. But you had a framework. That's such a good way to describe it. Yeah, because when I think back to UVA and the comm school, they were training mini CEOs. They were training yeah. you to think like CEOs from all these different angles, all the Harvard business cases. Like I said, I didn't think about it until you just asked me that. But uh, in a way, I think that has helped me 
um, more than I realized that I always had that baseline in the background and good to great books like that. Like I, I love books like that. Yeah. <laughs> Are you reading. a big reader? Is that something that's part of your process? I am. I love to read, love to yeah. read. And, and I'm one of those few that will take something that I've read and actually experiment and put into practice some of the suggestions. Because a lot of people will read, but I often say, oh, this book changed my life. That book yeah. changed my life. And I, after a while, I was like, I, I'm saying that a lot. And I think it's because I allow it to change my life. Yeah, what's one of those change your life books? So I have some faves. Um, I have so many. But like I said, Good to Great was one of those. And you know, the whole concept of making sure that the people are on the right, having the right people on the bus to begin with yeah. on this journey and then making sure in the, they're in the right seats. Wonderful book um, by James Collins. 48 laws of 48 laws of power yeah. kind of interesting how you so that's one that you can't actually like give me one of those that you apply <laughs> to your life and like what it did for you and I'm sure it had personal and professional uh, benefits it's funny that one is a tough one that was a tough one because um, it was very eye-opening and raw right I mean there were things that you read and you're like this is evil this isn't right but then at the same time you're like my god every person in power that I know, exhibits these like this is real they're on they're on point with some of this so i had to electively say that hey i'm not going to adopt uh you know the law that says hey i'm going to take credit for other people's work i didn't like that one i reject that one but um i'm trying to think one off the top of my head here but the one that uh seems to stick with me is uh beware of the green-eyed monster Mm. beware of envy um and, you know, I won't say that it dramatically changed my life, but it's one of those things to be humble in business mm-hmm. and just don't take for granted. I, I hate to say watch your back, but do be very aware of how your successes are going to impact people around you. Mm. And, um, you know, it's not that you have to change your behavior, but it's very important to be cognizant. Don't assume that everybody is like, hurrah, yay, you know, Philip's succeeding and I've got his back 100%. Just be aware that success breeds envy sometimes. Have you had to deal with that? Have you lost friends or colleagues because of it? I wouldn't say so, only because I'm an extreme diplomat. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's come but up. It's been a part of the process. I believe that I have sensed it mm. for sure. And uh, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's all part of the game, right? And that yeah. that's one of those things that it's just being aware of um, these type of elements, um, just being cognizant of them, uh, take some of that emotional uh, reaction away. Because you don't want to be emotionally reactive. And then, of course, I'll name one other book, which I think is interesting. It might be dated now, because this was so long ago that it's probably not even relevant anymore. But it's Play Like a Man, But Win Like a Woman by Gail Evans. Okay. Fun title, right? Yeah. Um, And without going into too much detail, that the premise of that is you cannot win a game just like chess that we talked about earlier you can't win a game if you don't know the rules right and if the rules were established by others then you got to at least be cognizant of those rules otherwise you're bumping into walls and not realizing how to navigate the space so that book definitely helped me in my career all these books have helped me in my career but that in particular being vocal being noticed making mm-hmm. an impression not being Uh, shy to ask for the corner office or not being shy to ask for the promotion or the next opportunity Um, because that's how the game is played. Yeah. Let's lean into that a little bit. So you asking for what you want is hard. Right. So for many, for many. Yeah. Or it can be right. Because and I think a lot of it is fear, fear of rejection. Yes. Fear of success. 
also because what if I get it and I'm not actually qualified? Not really qualified, right? You know that sort of thing. Have you felt any of that? And if so, what do you do about it? How do you overcome it? Oh, I love love this question. So I'm going to actually mention one other book, "Lean In" by Sheryl Sandberg. I think that she is right on point with saying that uh, her opinion that women will tend to wait until they believe that they're fully ready for a position before they ask for it. Yeah, and a guy will just throw it. Whereas a guy will be like, hey, I'm going to reach for the brass ring, and if I fall down, I fall down. And that was one of those rules that I had to realize, that if you don't put your hand up and say, I want it, and and be ready for them to reject you, Mm -hmm. and accept that, because guess what happens the next round? You're not playing for this round. You're playing for the next round or the Mm -hmm. following round. Now they know, oh, shoot. I turned this person down once, but hey, they've exhibited a desire for leadership and growth. You're on their mind. Like you've, you've moved, you've advanced the chess piece. So That's if you don't ask, you don't get. That is my core philosophy in life. Well, and it could just be that the other people around you or the universe as a whole or whatever may just think that's not one of your desires. Right. Because you didn't ask for you didn't ask for it. And, and you know, Philip, sometimes I feel that we can be so egocentric mm-hmm. in our journeys. Um, I don't know if it's because of how our parents coddled us or what it might have been, but you should never assume, if you're egocentric, you have to assume that the people around you are also egocentric in the sense that they're focused on their universe. They're mm-hmm. not focused on you. You're not going to be able to read my mind and know that I would like this next step. If you knew that, you might say, hey, Reba, you should go read this book or go take this course or go talk to such and such mentor. They can help you. You have to put it out there. And, and I've definitely made that a part of my life, even more so now as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, because uh, your question about fear, love that question. Fearlessness, fearlessness. There's only one way to become fearless is that you have to face it and mm-hmm. overcome it. You have to ask, be rejected, get your feelings hurt, and then try again. Mm. And it's like, you know, the, it's the third, fourth, fifth time that your skin gets tough and you're like, okay, no no could mean maybe or not yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't let that hurt my feelings. I've got to keep moving. I love how you just framed that if they could read your mind, they wouldn't just give you something. They would direct you to somewhere you can go, a mentor, take right. this course. Here's how you better yourself to get what you want. Because that already says a lot about you, that it's not about just having something. It's about being prepared to get there. Oh, absolutely. And also it's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you might get there and realize, oh, wow, I'm ill qualified for this. You know, be honest with yourself. Um, One of my mentors, and I've had at least four really great mentors in my life. One of them, your former guest, John Mangucci, CEO of CACI. Um, You've got to be, it's okay to sidestep. It's okay to go, what is it? He said it was a rock climb. You know, sometimes you have to go sideways to get to the top. And that's okay. It's okay to fail. What's the worst that can happen? You know, be, be honest about it and move on because those are the people that make it to yeah. the top. They have to be brave enough and they can't let that hurt them. Yeah. Even Sandberg, she talks about how it's a jungle gym, not a not a ladder, right? And I'll go on to say that, you know, sometimes I, I don't want to make distinctions between men and women. But um, sometimes rejection is harder on women, you know, and sometimes we fear it. I know I've seen it among my uh, female colleagues and friends. Um, Oftentimes in sales, it's a male dominated industry. You won't see as many women because you do have to 
be able to face rejection. Well, we get rejected by women all the time. <laughs> you see? So, so it's yeah, like, you've been built up for it. Yeah, we've You're been welcome. doing that since back. At, yeah, that's been going on since back in elementary school. You're welcome. So, yeah, you guys have been chased and like, yeah, he's, someone's going to like me. But it's hard. Yeah. It doesn't serve you well to yeah. be chased because when it's time for you to chase you have to have the guts to do it yeah it's hard and that that's one of those social things that just it's reactive versus proactive yeah I mean there are ways to I guess cast that net but I agree it, it's I have always felt yeah. for men I, mean, I just think that's such a scary thing especially as you're going through adolescence to have Dude, to a teen you're already kind of weird and it's like you're already oh. feeling so awkward but you know it's the exact same analogy that you can draw to business mm-hmm. you get over it yeah. And you it's it's a means to an end. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's like I always say that um so many analogies can be drawn to dating. You know, if you want that job, that next thing, whatever it is, you know what it feels like to want something. Mm-hmm. You put your blood, sweat, tears, imagination, creative energy, everything into it. And and I I say business development is the same thing. It's it's fun. You know, mm-hmm. you're in the hunt. You have to enjoy that hunt and it's like how this thing is coming out in 8 months. How do I get myself into the crosshairs? How do I get myself into the win zone for this particular opportunity? I I find it fascinating. Yeah. Sometimes it's just about being in the room. Being in the right place, right time. Yeah. Just start by getting in the room, right? Mm -hmm. Once you're in the room, now you can meet the people in the room. Right. Once you get to know the people in the room, you're going to eventually start to do business with one person in that room. Absolutely. But it's like, but if your goal is to let me just go from here to all the way over there winning that. It's like you didn't even set yourself up for success because you had an unreasonable expectation Correct. of how that would go. Correct. You know, I, like I said, I loved your question about fear. If there's one piece of advice I would give to young people coming out of school um, who have that fire and ambition, I would say overcome your fears early, as early as you can. I was lucky. Well, so yeah, I ask everyone that's been on the show, and that's that's great that we're we're going to talk about that now. Uh, the jumping off point, right, right, and it's it's kind of like a two part question. Um, the jumping off point: Were you ever at a time in life, either personally or professionally, mm-hmm. where you were unsure about what to do next, but you knew you couldn't keep doing what you were doing, yes. and you were probably like you know a moment of fear, something that you look back on that was probably hard and difficult, but it was the catalyst, right? That changed. Everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's continuing to change everything. It's it's actually quite remarkable yeah. and fun to look back on it. There was that jumping off point for sure. And and as you can tell, I mean you've known me a short while here, Philip. I'm a positive person. I am a glasses half full person. I'm a happy person. It's very and it, sometimes it works against me because I don't see the flaws. I don't see the problems and mm-hmm. I just keep surging ahead, you know, with that positive energy. But but you know, in life sometimes you do have to stop and say, wait a second. What am I doing? You know, is this good? Could it be better? So I believe that my positivity actually worked against me oddly for many Mm -hmm. years because I really now looking back think I could have done this much earlier in life. Um, But I just didn't see the problems. I'm not a person that easily sees problems. I'm always, you know, looking for the solution. So the jumping off point for me, I remember distinctly, (laughs) I'm in in a conference room, bunch of people around me. And um, like I said, I'm fearless and I love to pitch. I love to pitch my case for, hey, we need to pursue this deal for X, Y, Z reason. You know, I know how to do that effectively. Um, But I think it was after the 10th round, there's a voice in my head that says, you cannot do this anymore. This is ridiculous. You know, trying to play defense attorney around a deal that I've lined up beautifully. And, And at that point, I said, you know, 
Reba, all the blood, sweat, tears, energy, creative thoughts that you've put into fulfilling someone else's mission and dream, it's time for you to invest that energy in your own damn dreams. You know, like what could you do if you were actually uh, putting forth something that is yours, entirely yours, something that you believe in and you love and you grow like a child, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that was the jumping off point for me. It was a very clear moment, Philip, a very clear voice in my head that said, you can't do this anymore. Now, second part of your question, did I know exactly what to do? No, but that moment of discontent was the catalyst for me to start thinking. And I have to tell you the frustration, once I had actually put it out into the universe that I'm frustrated with this situation, it's almost like it kept growing and getting worse and I Hmm. couldn't ignore it anymore. Yet, being the planner that I am, I did have a couple of um, impulsive moments where I thought, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to jump. But uh, through some prayer and uh, thinking it through, I was like, no, you've got to hang on, Reba. Hang on. So I ended up hanging on for a full year beyond that. And in that time, similar to what you said earlier, I used that year to prepare the base that was necessary Mm -hmm. that made it easy to launch. So I would tell people out there, embrace that moment of discontent as your catalyst, but be wise and be prepared. Don't be emotional. You might have to grit your teeth and suffer through another six months, year, two years, but take everything into consideration and and have your plan ready so that when you go, you're ready to soar. So do you look back on that time and you're actually grateful for it? You're, oh, you're happy that it happened? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How does how do you practice gratitude now? So I would say I'm a gratitude fanatic. I'm yeah. one of these people that, you know, I wake up thanking God, go to sleep thanking God. I'm in my car, you know, uh, always thankful for the small things. But how I do it now is more than just saying thanks now that I'm older and wiser. I really am trying to look for those ways to give it back. Mm. You know, the universe was good to me. I had some opportunities. How can I help others? How can I show others the way or make it easier or ease their pain or burden if they have um, some baggage that they'd like to unload? How can I be that good listener and friend? Because gratitude is an action word. Uh, I, I think a lot of people have said that. I like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a thing that you have and that you can lose. It's something that you give. Yeah. It's a way that you act. It's a way that you carry yourself, give to other people, that kind of thing. So, that's right. cool. so, you know, along with gratitude, you know, I always talk about the way that we speak with ourselves. And I think the way we speak to others is also representative of how we're probably communicating with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do you practice I am statements or affirmations or anything like that to get yourself in this state of gratitude and this state of readiness to be able to do the things you do? To be honest with you, I wouldn't say so. I mean, not not explicitly. I don't have uh, I am statements. I would say deep in my heart, I've always felt that, hey, I am worthy, I am loved um, in my private thoughts you know I've, I've never had an issue with uh, am I good enough I've always felt like hey I, I'm loved and um, I'm worthy uh, to pursue good things and I know that's not the case for everybody but I feel blessed that I had that my I am statement now is I am going to give back did you learn the idea that I am worthy I am loved all those things from someone else did you as growing up was that coming from your parents you know I, I don't know how to explain it it's I don't think so. No? Yeah, I think I was just, you know, always had that sense. Yeah. Or those feelings. 
Do you think that your dad being an entrepreneur has anything to do with your ability to be an entrepreneur and go from visionary to actually creating something? Yes, it does. Yeah. In more ways than one. Um, of course, you know, I have such a close relationship with my father. I admire him. And, and like I said, he is a much, much higher tolerance for risk than I've ever had. And, and you know, somebody who witnesses that, somebody going after their dreams full force, it's very admirable. So him being an entrepreneur definitely influenced me. And, and because we have that close relationship, you know, you always want your parents to be proud of you. You want to impress your dad. My dad and I actually have uh, somewhat similar personalities. Um, so I think that that had a great influence uh, on my path. How many kids do you have? Three. So you've got three kids. How old are they? 16, 13, and eight. Boy, boy, girl. So, yeah, I mean, especially for the girl, I suppose. But how how do you think you being an entrepreneur, running your own company, successful the way that you've been, practicing this gratitude, doing your best to give back to other people, how do you think that's influencing their thoughts and ideas of what's possible for them? Gosh, what a great question. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't do know. Do you guys talk about it? Uh, we talk about it. They say things. What do they say? That every now and then make me smile or make me aware that I'm influencing the world differently for them versus how I grew up. So, for example, they'll say little things like, Mom, you're the boss. Or, Mom, you know, hey, well, Mom, you know, statements that you would typically hear somebody say about their dad, kind of like when we were growing up, Mm. they'll say things like that as if it's very natural you know it's not like they they take it in stride you know mom is 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 a boss she's an entrepreneur she's building her business um you know she's doing a podcast like these are normal things for them that they witness i should probably ask them (laughs) but we haven't overtly had that conversation of how is this influencing you but i do see that my boys are growing up seeing you know a woman pursuing her dreams and, and we talk about it very openly I'm like you know this is my dream this is something I'd like to do I'm I'm doing this podcast now because it scratches a an itch that I have um, so they're seeing me do that I'd like to believe that that does give them the confidence uh, to believe that they can do it too I ask because if your dad quit halfway through yeah do you think you'd be in the position you're in now wow that is a solid, solid question uh, because my dad never quits. And without getting into, without airing too much baggage, but you know, he, he has faced some real tough times, uh, ups and downs as an entrepreneur. And he, to this day, hasn't quit. So I don't know. Had he quit halfway, maybe, maybe it would have had a different impact on me. And I mean, likewise, seeing you create something that didn't exist and Mm -hmm. find yourself in a position where you no longer wanted to be doing what you were doing the way it was being done. Yes. And doing it something different, doing it a different way. Right. You know, what example is that setting for them when they reach a point where Mm -hmm. they're either in a job or in a relationship or in a circumstance that they don't want to be going a certain way? They've got the example of that it can be successful a different way or that they're allowed to do it a different way. Right. Uh, And then others, um, you know, if we're constantly told that we're not enough Mm -hmm. uh, in in many different forms or whatever different ways, Mm -hmm. wouldn't have that thought because we would inherently feel like we're not enough. That's not possible for me. Right. Or we have an example, not that 
one parenting is worse than the other, but just that, you know, you have a parent that maybe didn't do that. Right. Um, But that could also be the catalyst. I've I've interviewed someone who said that, you know, it was because her mother chose to be something that she didn't really want to be, but she played it safe that that person took more risks in their life. How they interesting. Le- they learned that lesson to How not do interesting. That. Yeah, it's all what you take out of a situation, what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Like anybody can sit back and be a victim. We've all had bad things happen to us. We have all had bad things happen to us. Um, you know, I could go on and on about negative stories or painful stories, but you, it's what you focus on mm. and, and how you take that uh, adversity and turn it around into something positive. It's a mindset. Mm-hmm. You really have to adopt that mindset and realize that, hey, I'm not a victim. I'm not crushed because of this. Let me go put myself into proactive stance and do something positive uh, with this energy, with this life lesson. Did you play sports when you were younger? Not really. No. no. But I am very competitive. <laughs> I ask because there seems to be a theme. A in vibe. Our, yeah. Of like, and, and I got that from team sports. Right. I got that from coaches that we're coaching team sports is really where I got that from. Um, I probably got it from a debate club and, you know, I was academically uh, competitive. So you were competitive in some sort of way. Oh, absolutely. From, from a young age. From a young age. Yes. Okay. Yes. What, what, ex- what do you think that's done for you throughout your career of looking at, I, I don't want to answer the question for you, but what do you think that's actually done for you being in a competitive environment from a young age, whether it was academics sports, what have you, what do you think that does to us as people? So, you know, you can take positive or negative out of it. I take positive. I believe, and and I'll share this, uh, let's say, as a piece of advice to young people coming out, starting their careers. I think everything's a competition and, and better for you to be aware of it early. Even if you appear to be in a benign environment and it's not overt competition, you're competing against yourself. You're competing against what you did last year, what you did this year, what can you do next year? And I'm not a proponent of adding stress or anxiety. No, competition is fun. It's gotta be healthy, fun competition. And for new entrants into the workplace, and really they don't even have to be new entrants, even existing. You know, I, I Let's say I work at um, one large systems integrator, I move to the next. My mindset has always been that you're always competing against somebody. So focus on your results and be mindful of that. You know, being a, a, I might be likable, I might be fun to be around, not good enough. What results am I producing? So I think a competitive mindset makes you think that way. And, and I, for whatever reason, I've had that competitive mindset and I like to compete. I think it's fun. I think that's why I enjoy business development because somebody wins the government contract and somebody loses. Like it's, a, it's very clear cut. There's a very clear goal. So yeah, that competition, you've got to be aware of it. In my humble opinion, from day one, that you're always competing against somebody. So you've got to focus on your results at all points. And, and even if it's just you alone, how are you challenging yourself to be better? Are you focusing on the actual results or the process that goes into creating those results? Now that's kind of like a chicken and egg question. And it's funny because my father always brings this up. He's like, do your duty, don't focus on the results. He said that from day one. And it's like, well, wait a second. How can you not focus on the results? You know, if you focus on the results, then you reverse engineer the process to get to that result. So that's a, that's a tough question for yeah. me to answer. But uh, 
But if you're looking at the result, the process is inherent. It has to be there. It's like what we talked about in the beginning, being a visionary versus mm-hmm. being somebody who can get their hands dirty and actually turn that vision into a reality. So you have an idea of where you want to go. You're focusing on where you want to go. Right. Um, and you're getting there. Yes. Yeah, so and maybe and, and you know allowing for some surprises along the way you know life life is a, a joy ride right there are things that are unexpected um, and you have to allow for those unexpected things We're, we can't know it we might be planners but we may not always have the best um, ideas uh, on how to get there and sometimes the universe surprises us with something that we didn't expect what, what advice can you give to an aspiring either entrepreneur or visionary or even someone who's like say mid-career Mm-hmm. doing something that wants to wants to do wants to get off on their own that wants to you know even someone who is technical in their experience mm-hmm. but wants to be in a leadership position how do they get there so i view leadership as let's say i'm in, working for a, bit, a company and i want to move up and and manage a team now there's a specific answer around that you know which has to do with eq and and eq versus iq um, emotional intelligence, if you're a technical person, that doesn't mean that you don't have high EQ. But I would say that if that's the scenario where you're, you're, you were a single contributor, now it's time for you to manage a team. You have got to practice empathy and you've got to get your EQ, your emotional quotient, up. There are many ways to go about doing that. I mean, some of us are just naturally born with that. We can read a room. We can re- read people's faces. We can understand the energy, how it changed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Others cannot. And hey, not one is not better than the other. Um, it's just how we're designed. But it's understanding your strengths and weaknesses. If you lack that emotional intelligence, then you do want to... There are ways that you can go about building that up so that when it is time for you to motivate a team, you're not crushing them. You're actually motivating them uh, to do to satisfy the mission without you having to push them. You're not pushing the rock up the hill. On the entrepreneurship side, I would say have a plan. Hmm. You know, have a plan. Think it through. And um, one interesting other little thing that I'll share as I've observed people who have gone off and done consulting and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, is that recognize whether you are the hunter versus the farmer. Or, or I guess put a different way, recognize, are you the operator? Like, are you the person that actually wants to develop the software and be left alone? You know, if that's the case, get your sales partner. Get your person who is the outward facing. Or are you the person who's better out there? Because, you know, people love you. Uh, you can communicate well. Are you the sales arm? Then find somebody else to be your operator. And I think oftentimes people mix it up or they try to do both. Um, and if you can't sell, I mean, that is going to be hard, damn hard to grow your business. So um, that's just like a little side uh, note that I have observed over time, my own observation of why some consulting practices make it and others don't. Who can sell versus who can't and who has found, plug that gap. Yeah, it's knowing your strengths mm-hmm. and supplementing the weakness with someone who has that strength. Exactly. How do you find that out? How, I think you'd probably know, but yeah. let's say you didn't know. What's an exercise or what, what do you think would be helpful for someone to figure out? Mm-hmm. Am I the operator? Or, or am sh- I the... Yeah. It's um, your joy versus your pain. You said it. You'll know it. Yeah. Like, like for me, for example, I'm the salesperson. I love to sell. I love to pitch. I love to be out there, particularly now because I'm selling something that I really, really believe in. 
So it's it's fun. It's effortless. I enjoy it. So I'm feeling the joy. Um, and that's not to say that I'm not the operator as well. I mean, I'll pump out every invoice. You know, I'm great at math. You can figure out every dollar and cent where it goes. But am I having as much joy in that moment? Maybe not. You know, or if it's um, doing the research, we always joke about this. Research is a big part of our business, but I've got a wonderful person who supports me who absolutely loves research. Let her have her joy in that moment. Let me have my joy out there bringing in customers, and it's a win win scenario. So, the thing is, when you're feeling the pain, you're like, ah, oh, crunching this number, I'm plowing through this research, and I am miserable right now. I'm bored. That's your indicator that you need to have somebody else in that role. Yeah, But you got to have both. I, I really believe if you're going to go after being an entrepreneur, you can't do it without somebody pitching your company. And if you're uncomfortable in front of people and it's not your thing, you don't like to brag or talk about you know, your strong suits, find somebody to do it because that is, that is critical mm-hmm. for an entrepreneur. Yeah. So what's next for D8 or you know, where, where are you guys going? Sure. Um, so, so far, like I said, it's been an evolution and I've had such a fun time because like I said, I'm pouring my blood, sweat, tears, energy, creative thoughts into my own dream. And what's so fun about this, Philip, is that um, you could experiment and course correct. And as we talked, we're not afraid of failure, right? Yeah. And each time you fail and it doesn't hurt so much, you're like, okay, that wasn't a big deal. You know, let's try something else. Something else. But obviously staying within, you know, somewhat focused lanes. So we started off with um, pipeline, federal develop, uh, federal opportunity pipeline development. We're still doing that. We have honed it, perfected it, shortened the process. Um, we're doing capture management, but now we're serving it up kind of like a, a sous chef for the, for the capture manager who's the gourmet chef, right? So we're slicing and dicing those pieces and making it very easy and I'm packaging it. And I love it because I understand what needs to be done to get from point A to B. So it's also an education process. So training is the next thing. That's been happening a lot. It was something that just kind of came to me because in the course of helping our clients, I'm like, they're learning and there is a demand out there to be trained on business development. What is it? What is capture management? How do I do it? What are the steps? Um, and then last but not least, I'm kind of like we talked about earlier, putting things out into the universe. I'm just going to put this one out there. Um, I would like to find a um, subcontracting position for D8 Group supporting the M&A firms out there. Mm. I think that we have something real to offer. The, th- the same things that we're doing for our clients, we can take that and offer it up to M&A firms, you know, pipeline development, research on a company, maybe even matchmaking, uh, because we're so heavily networked. I mean, we touch so many customers and companies and, you know, it, it just makes it easier. So that's, the, I would say that's the next thing is how do we become a support arm to a M&A activity here? Well, that's good stuff. And you also have your own podcast. That's right. Comes yep. out once a month. Once a month. It's a video podcast called A New Way to Win. And what I do on there, Philip, is that I will inter- I will bring a government speaker. Um, you know, for example, Jose Arrieta, former CIO of HHS has been on there, other wonderful folks. But I like to ask them the questions that perhaps uh, on behalf of industry, maybe they're a little bit um, sheepish to ask or never get a chance to ask because there's always a specific agenda in their meetings. But I always ask them the question of how do you like to be pitched? What are the do's and don'ts? How should we approach you? How can you know the things that people want to know? 
and I just it's a fascinating topic to me and I love seeing them open up and tell the truth about those type of things yeah. where 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 can someone find it they can find it on my website uh, there's a link to our YouTube channel and also the videos are loaded there as well it, which is www.d8group.com so that's D8 the letter D and then the number 8 correct group.com correct D8 group.com there's a whole section for our uh, video podcast so thank you for mentioning that yeah for sure and what's the name again a new way to win a new way to win so very descriptive (laughs) they know exactly what they're getting into right well listen i appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us today i think there's a lot there that's going to help a lot of people oh i'm so grateful for that and thank you for this opportunity philip it's been very very enjoyable Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.